0: Ah, yes, the New Testament church, that paragon of love, peace, and general all-around niceness. The risen Christ formed a perfect community under the leadership of the twelve. Wait, did I say twelve? I meant eleven. Eleven apostles. After all, Luke, the only gospel writer to add a sequel, wrote this about the church in Acts 4. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was already sold of what was sold they laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need now don't get me wrong despite the sarcastic tone i don't doubt that this was a thing but the reality is that this state of the church lasted only a blink only a blink Right in, in much of Acts, the church is in conflict, deep conflict, conflict with itself, conflict with outsiders, conflict with authorities, even conflict with its Lord. If you read Acts closely, you soon realize that for all their extraordinary gifts, the apostles were just as flawed, just as human as we are, all the same with all the same in idiosyncrasies and foibles. First hint that all is not right in paradise comes in Acts 5, with the terrifying story of Ananir- Ananiris and Sapphira's deception. I won't go into details, but children, make sure your parents are around when you read this story. It's pretty scary. And then in chapter 6, further conflict within the community erupts. Not over doctrine not over worship but over food over food service if you've ever had a roommate or a co-worker who couldn't keep their hands off your food you can understand why this was such this could erupt into such great conflict you understand you see there are ethnic distinctions even in the early church everyone in the church at this point was still jewish But not everyone spoke the same language. The Hellenists, as Luke calls them, spoke Greek in their native tongue, while the Hebrews spoke Aramaic. While Hebrews were locals, Hellenists could have come from anywhere in the empire. So what is going on may be just as much a conflict between immigrants and natives as it is about language, as it is about food. So the apostles come up with a plan. They themselves will keep to the service of the word of God, preaching, praying, and teaching. They'll appoint seven other men, men with Greek names, men who are clearly already distinguished in the community, to take care of the food service. Divisions of labor are put into place, hands are laid on, and the first deacons of the church go to work. But the first place we see a deacon at work isn't in the kitchen. It's in the synagogue. The apostles wanted to appoint men full of the Holy Spirit. But did they expect that the Spirit would lead them into such direct engagement with those outside the church? We don't know. We don't get their reaction to Stephen's work. They clearly mourned him after he died. In chapter 8, they say that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But one thing certainly did happen. The spirit subverted the intentions of the community and turned Stephen's role from just from service just to the community of believers to service of the gospel at large, from just in reach to outreach as well. Now, there have been several ways throughout history to try and keep someone quiet. You could shout them down, you could bribe them, you could try to convince them to your point of view, you could exile them or blackmail them, but the most permanent way then and now was to kill them. The crowd hearing Stephen is so enraged that they don't even wait for a proper verdict. They just drag him out of town and stone him. And the career of brilliant young Stephen comes to a quick and gruesome end. But the spirit's subversions weren't done. The spirit subverted even death. A strange young man enters the scene for the first time at Stephen's death. A young man named Saul. And this Saul will prove to be the greatest threat to the gospel since Jesus was crucified. Chapter 8 will see the beginning of a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, headed by Saul. Saul enters private homes and drags Christ's followers off to prison. Luke is brutally precise. He ravaged the church. But something happened that day when Stephen was killed. The spirit began to subvert the evil intentions of Saul, readying him for Christ's dramatic intervention in chapter 9, when he gets knocked flat on his back on Emmaus Road. Sometimes you hear professors and scholars say that Acts should not be called the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and that's true. But the Spirit is unpredictably variable. Human beings are fairly predictable in the book of Acts. You know that Peter is going to preach and heal, although The power with which he preaches is certainly a surprise after seeing how he cowers at the end of luke's gospel you know that the apostles are going to defy the authorities that are going to want to shut them up for their part you know that the authorities are going to act to keep the status quo but the spirit is unpredictable totally unpredictable the spirit works where it wills to bring faith in the book of acts and those in whom the Spirit works faith are often surprising candidates, people like the centurion Cornelius, for example. The Spirit takes the best laid plans of the apostles, the best plans of the apostles, and turns them on their head to more expansive ends. The Spirit subverts everything. Right now our congregation is in a long-range planning process. You heard a little update about it today. And that's great. That's great. One of my favorite authors and scholars, the late Fred Craddock, wrote something like this. Just because God does everything doesn't mean my work is lessened in the slightest. He was writing that in a book about preaching, trying to keep preachers from just coming to the pulpit and waiting for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to strike. That doesn't often end up in a very good sermon, We still have to plan. We have a God-given duty to discern the best plans we can for Shalom's future and Shalom's part in God's mission. But we will do well if we understand that the Spirit is going to take those plans and turn them on their head. The Spirit will subvert those plans to make this community of faith more invested and more integrated in the work of the gospel. That's true for everything we do, not everything we plan, not just for the church. Perhaps that's why James warns his hearers, don't, go, don't say, we will go to this city and we will do this or that. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. But that's good news, even though it's really obnoxious when the Spirit does that and subverts our plans. It's good news when it happens. It's good news because it it means that ultimately our destiny isn't up to us. The fruitfulness of our work isn't up to us. Our part in God's mission isn't up to us. Stephen was chosen by the Spirit to do much more than what the apostles chose him to do he was much more than some he he did much more than just wait on tables Saul would be chosen by the spirit to turn from persecuting the church to proclaiming its gospel if there's something we can cling to in these very anxious days it's the assurance that everything is not up to us it's all in the hands of god so we work out our plans but we work them out in trust Because we know that whatever we plan, the Spirit is going to use them however she pleases. Even though the Spirit is wild, the Spirit is trustworthy. Even though the Spirit is unpredictable, she works for our good. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, subvert our plans, our hopes, our dreams. Subvert them all and turn them to the ends of the gospel because we know that whatever we plan you can turn you can turn them to something greater than we can possibly imagine in the name of Christ we pray amen